Well, I'm glad that you're here for this significant day for our church. It is good for us to just pause and remember and for us to honor. It is very appropriate for us to just live a life of honoring and to redeem because we believe that God is redeeming these moments in our city. It's the way that he has promised to bring good out of the bad. We we'll also want to welcome our Southeast campus, those who are watching online, our microsites. Can we just give them a hand? Just welcome them. Glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, next week, we're going to be doing baptisms after every service that we have next weekend. That if you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, this is your next step. And so we're going to be doing baptisms out in the courtyard. And so you can let us know a couple ways. You can fill out the card in front of you and just drop it in one of the offering boxes. Or you can just show up next week to be baptized. And we're going to be celebrating with hundreds of people who are going to be making that decision this next week. Well, I have an older brother by the name of Sean who is two years older than me. And since we were kids, we have always played practical jokes on each other. And we always try to one-up the other one. Well, when I was in high school, I came home one day from, from school and then my job, and he had set up my entire bedroom on the front yard. <laughs> Everything. I mean, it was my bed, my dressers, my clothes, my posters, everything. He just recreated my bedroom on the front lawn. And it must have taken him all day to do it. I don't know what the neighbors thought. They must have thought, that is one weird family. I don't know what is wrong with them. But when I pulled up, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. It was one of those moments, it was so funny, but I thought, it will take me all day to put this back by myself. And so I managed to steal the keys to his car. And I drove his car about a mile away, and I parked it in front of some random house that he would never, ever find it unless he helped me put all that stuff back. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just want the perfect payback. You know, that you've been in a situation and you just wish you had the perfect words, that in that moment, you wish that you knew exactly what you want to say today to them. Or to do something. See, we all have this idea that, that we want to get back. But what we really want is we want to get even. See, we know the golden rule. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. See, that works great if nobody mistreats you. But when people begin to mistreat you, when they begin to do things to you, we change that to do unto others as they have done unto you, and maybe a little bit more. <laughs> See, I think for all of us that, that when you are mistreated, you mistreat them back, unless they're not around. And then it begins to leak out of you into your relationships, and you begin to mistreat other people, that I'm going to take it out on you. Well, this is what happened with David in this story that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We are in part four of our series that we're calling Flawed Hero as we walk through the life of David. And I'm going to rewind from where we were last week back to David's fugitive years when he's on the run from his life from King Saul because I wanted to teach this passage on this weekend. I just thought it was an appropriate time for us to look at this this weekend. 
And so let me introduce you to the three men characters of our story today. The first character, it's David. Now this takes place about 1,000 B.C., and David steps into the pages of history as an unlikely king. He's not from a royal family. He was not voted most likely to succeed by his high school class. But God chose him because he had God's heart. God says, this is a man after my own heart. And we find David with 600 of his merry men, and they are hiding out in the wilderness And that brings us to our second character, a guy by the name of Nabal. Now, Nabal was this super rich guy. The actual Hebrew word that the the writer uses is the word heavy. Now, we might say it like this, is that he is loaded, that this guy is loaded. But he has a bad temper, and he's just unkind. He's mean to everyone around him. His name actually means fool, and we will see that that is a fitting description of who he is. And the third character is a lady by the name of Abigail. Now, Abigail is Nabal's wife, and Abigail is this smart and beautiful woman, and she is wise not only in the way that she deals with her husband, but in the way that she deals with David. And in this story, let me just kind of catch you up where we are in this story, is that David sends 10 of his men to greet Nabal. And he tells them, he goes, I want you to tell him, I want you to greet him in my name, and I want you to wish him well. And tell him that we wish him and everyone in his household good help. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. And these are additional words that David told his men to tell Nabal. He says, now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time that they were in Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Now, sheep shearing time usually happened about once a year. They would usually shear the sheep in the springtime so they wouldn't have that, all of that wool on them during the, the heat of the summer months. And they would take the wool and they would sell it. And this was like the big paycheck of the entire year. Well, Nabal owns 3,000 sheep. So he has a ton of money that's going to be coming in. And what was customary for the owner of the sheep was to take a portion of the profits and he would give them to those who protected the shepherds. This is like when you go out to eat and you enjoy a good meal, then you will tip the waiter. And so you would give a portion of those who protected the shepherds. And not only, David says, tell him, not only did we not steal from you, that we protected you. It says, ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Just ask them. They'll tell you what we did for them. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. They've got all of this money coming in. They've got all of this surplus that's come in. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. Since you're bringing in so much money at this time, we're not even asking for the normal fee that you would pay to those who protect your shepherds. We're just asking for just whatever you can do for us, just whatever's available. So in other words, since we were good to you, would you be good to us? Since we didn't steal from you, would you share with us? 
It says, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. And I think this is just an interesting description because this is that pregnant pause. This is that moment where it just seems awkward because nobody's talking. He says, Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. If you want to break away from your master and come work for me, you can come work for me. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? Notice it's it's all about me. This is all mine. This is all my stuff. David doesn't impress me because David's a fugitive and an outlaw. Who is he? Besides that, I didn't ask for your help. I didn't ask for your men to come in and protect me. I don't owe you anything. And David, who has been this model of patience, it was just a few months before this that he was in a cave and he had the opportunity to kill Saul and to become king on his own. And he was patient. He says, I'm not going to move forward where God doesn't want me to move forward. Well, at this point, he has had enough. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. That here's our hero David right here. That he is tired. He is fed up. He is hungry. And he's going to retaliate. He tells his men, you strap on your swords. Nobody puts on a sword for a discussion. You strap on a sword to get even. And he feels completely justified in what he's about to do. And this is where David's story intersects with our story. Because he does what we all do when somebody has wronged us. When we have the power to retaliate, we begin to justify why it is okay for us to pay them back. And our anger starts to control our thinking, that we don't think clearly. And at this point, David has completely lost control of his emotions. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, this is one of Nabal's servants, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time that we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time that we were herding our sheep near them. And here is this moment right here where the people who were closest, they come in, and they, they are disturbed by what has happened. This servant comes in disturbed by what has happened to them, and he knows not only did, did David not mis- mistreat them, he protected them. He says night and day, night and day, they became this wall to keep the bandits from coming in and stealing from us and attacking us. He goes, now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. The messengers, they come to Abigail and not Nabal. Why? Because he won't listen to anyone. 
He won't take advice from anyone. No one can talk to him. And Abigail, she is so wise because at this moment she could just say, you know what, I'm going to let David and his men get rid of my loser of a husband. I'm just going to get rid of him. But that's not what she does. And here are these people, they say that no one can talk to him. Maybe you have somebody in your life who's like that. Maybe you try to talk to them and they will never listen. Maybe you are that person. Maybe you're the person, somebody says, you will never listen. You are always defensive. You never listen to what we say. And maybe God is trying to speak into your life today. What goes on, it says that Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and she loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal, that sometimes it is the people who are closest to us that can see right through our bad decisions. And she knows that her husband is too foolish to understand all of this. She understands he's just a fool, but she decides to make peace on his behalf and to literally save his life. Says that David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. And this is part of the key to our story Right here. And now we find out what David is thinking. We get inside David's mind and we hear what he's thinking at this moment. Because he's about to kill people that he's never met. He's about to release the rage that he's had since he's been on the run for his life when Saul was trying to kill him. Now I want you just to picture what happens next. It says, when Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Abigail is so wise. This isn't just one of this shoot from the hips moment where, well, you know, I'm just going to decide to do what I get there. No, she knows what she's going to do. And Nabal has disrespected David, and she does the exact opposite. She bows down before him to show him proper respect. I believe that she treats David as the man that she hopes he will become. She treats David as the man that she hopes that he will be. So she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She is not his servant. She is a wealthy woman married to an influential man, but she chooses to place herself under David's authority. She says, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. Can we turn that? Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord Be like Nabal. She says, since the Lord has kept you from doing something, you have not done anything yet that you'll regret. The Lord has kept you from revenging 
from avenging yourself. You don't want to be like Nabal. His name means fool. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to avenge yourself like that. You want a different story. She says, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. She says, this has always been your story. I'm looking at the next king and God has always fought your battles. You have always been obedient to God. Now don't ruin what God has done in your life by committing murder. David, you are better than that. Says, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. What in the world is she talking about? The imagery that she's talking about right here is when they would take a wallet or a purse and they would put money in it and then they would bind it with with, um, some cord and they would wrap it in their belt. Here's what she's saying. Is that even though someone is trying to steal your life like a thief would steal a coin, that your life is tucked away in God's wallet. That your life is tucked away like it's in a woman's purse. And it will never be found at the bottom of that purse. Your life is tucked away. Then no one can take your life. You are safe. And God is saving you for something very specific. But I want you to notice this at the bottom. It says, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. She takes David back to when he was 15 years old. And he's facing Goliath. When he took a sling and God used that sling and a stone to take back down the biggest enemy for Israel. And here's what she's saying is now God will take a sling and he will put your enemies in that sling and he will hurl them away to nobody hears from them again. She says, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he's promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. She's saying, you don't want that to be part of your story, David. You don't want that burden. See, this is what happens when you take revenge on people. You don't want your story to be just about killing people to get even. That is a burden that is too heavy for you to carry. And David finally comes to his senses. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from the bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. He's saying, God used you to save me from myself. God used your good judgment even when I didn't have good judgment. Otherwise, not only would I have killed your husband, Nabal, I would have killed everyone who's attached to him. It says, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Mission accomplished. 
Everybody wins. David goes back with food for his guys that they needed. And Nabal gets to keep his life. And then Nabal thanks Abigail for saving his life. No, that's not what happens. <laughs> Do you want to know the end of the story here? Okay, I'll give you the end of the story. It says, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king because he has money that's just come in. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. That she had saved his life, but he's such a fool, and he's so drunk, he can't even hear about it. And so she waits until the next morning, and he has a heart attack, and then dies 10 days later. And then it says, then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. And they lived happily ever after the end. Well, all of that is true except the happily ever after because she was not... David's only wife. But again, that's a different message for a different day. We have three characters, three responses, but only one hero. We have Nabal. What Nabal did is he returned evil for good. Because all of this kindness had been done to him. All of this kindness, David had protected him. They had kept him from getting robbed, and he returned that with evil. Nabal returned evil for good. David was ready to return evil for evil. We understand this. We, we kind of understand that mindset, especially in the day that they lived. But Abigail, our hero, she returns good for evil. She returns good for evil. Now, Nabal, nobody wants to be this. Nobody wants to be this. David... I mean, we understand this. This is predictable. We all want to get even. But Abigail, she is remarkable. She is remarkable. And there is a sense that she is ahead of her time. Because the children of Israel lived under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And returning evil for evil was actually okay. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But when Jesus came along, Jesus entered, ushered in a new covenant that turned that upside down. And the apostle Peter, who saw Jesus unjustly arrested, saw Jesus unjustly crucified, the apostle Peter, who saw Jesus mistreated by the people and by the leaders, he wrote these words to Christians who were being unjustly treated. He writes this in a political environment when Christians were mistreated for just being a Christian. And here's what Peter says. He says, do not repay evil with evil. But you don't know what they've done to me. I know. But they deserve it. I know they do. But Peter says, do not return evil with evil or insult with insult. That's what we do on social media. If somebody insults me, I insult them back. Or we sit behind a keyboard or a phone and we begin to hurl insults at people. Peter says, on the contrary, 
believers in Christ, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, whenever you are mistreated, you don't just ignore it. You return it with blessing. You return that evil with blessing, and then here's what happens. You become a candidate for God's blessing in your life. And then Peter quotes David. David would reflect back on this story in this moment, and David would write in his journal in Psalm 34 these words that Peter will now repeat. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. See, Peter is writing this to Christians who are being mistreated and persecuted. And he says, when you do this, you become like Jesus. You become like Jesus. So here's the question. Here's the question. What does returning good for evil look like for you? What does returning good for evil look like in your life? Here's what I know about everybody in here. Everybody in here has been betrayed at some point in your life. That somebody has betrayed you. I have stories of when people have betrayed me, things that they said to me or things that they did to me. Listen, I can take you back 10, 15 years and I can tell you word for word what was said to me. That those wounds are still there to this day and you can't tell. You have your own story. You have a story of of what's been done to you and you've dreamed about getting even because you think it will make you feel better and you feel justified because they deserve it. And just as Abigail said to David, you don't want this on your conscience. You don't want this staggering burden of getting even. When you choose to get even, is a burden that you will carry for the rest of your life. Some of you carry wounds from the tragedy that happened a year ago because it was was evil. There is no other word to define what happened other than pure evil. But here's what I know. For some of you, it's leaking into your relationships today and you can't let it go. For some of you, it's a divorce. And your heart has been so wounded. Or it's what your parents did. Or it's what a boss has said. Don't settle for getting even. What does doing good, returning good, look like in your life? Or maybe just to push you a little further, let me use the words that Peter uses. So what does returning blessing for evil look like in your life? What would it look like for you to return blessing? Because here's what Peter knows, is that Jesus takes everything to the next level. Jesus says, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already done that. You've heard it said you should not commit murder, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother has committed the same sin. 
And Peter, who knows that Jesus takes everything to the next level, he says, we return evil with blessing. That we give the same grace that God gave us. To do nothing, that's mercy. When we look at what they deserve and you say, this is what they deserve and I'm deciding not to do that, that's mercy. But actually do something that they don't deserve, that's grace. That's grace. And this is your best opportunity to be like Jesus. So what does it look like in your life to return blessing? Because when we do that, we become a candidate for God blessing us and healing us. Well, I want us to pray together. And my guess is you can remember the people who have betrayed you, who have said something to you or done something to you. And it's still this wound that you carry today. And I'm inviting you to give that to Jesus right now. That we're going to pray. It's for you beginning to say, God, what does it look like for me to return blessing to them? God, we come here today and there is not a person in this room who has not felt betrayal in their life. God, all of us have been there. And God, it it is this wound that sometimes just gets reopened. But God, what what we don't want is we don't want to carry a staggering burden of trying to get even. God, we want to carry the blessing of you working through us. So God, teach us to be a blessing, to bless. God, renew us and restore us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.